25, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. You know, I don't think we're going to be able to get our mind around how much of this is God and how much is us. The Calvinist says it's all God, none you. The Armenian says it's all you, almost none God. I mean, you know, the, both the views are on one. They flip. But I believe that truth of the Bible is the Almoraldian view, which is what this church holds, though you probably cannot spell it or pronounce it and don't hear it very much. But it's the theological view, and if you want to look Burkhoff up, it's about that thick. It's the theological view that balances the two together and believes there's some truth in both. And it makes sense that people wouldn't give their whole lives for Calvinism and their whole lives for Arminianism if there wasn't some truth in it. There's truth in it. But there's a balance between you and God. We are workers together with God, the Bible says. Now, I don't know. He doesn't need me. Uh, I'm not worthy of it. But he gives me certain decision-making power. And then he comes alongside of me. The, the Holy Spirit, the name for the Holy Spirit, paraclete in Greek, means to walk alongside of. It's, the Holy Spirit walks alongside of you, helps you, holds your arm up. But if you ain't there to work, if you ain't there to make decisions to do it, he's not going to make it happen. You're going to have to be there. But he says, but that which she have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my words unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. That's talking about the millennial period, I believe. The way you live for Christ and, the, and how you conduct yourself in obeying God now is going to determine your position of responsibility in a thing called the millennial period. That's a thousand years where Christ is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem with a rod of iron. We as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, we're going to uh, carry out his word, carry out his orders. And it's, it, from anything the Bible says, and the Bible says a lot about the millennium all the way through the Old Testament. Um, we're going to uh, rule and reign with him a thousand years. That's what the Bible says, actually. But what is that going to be? It's gonna be? It seems strange, doesn't it? It seems strange to me, but it's going to happen. So if I was you, I'd conduct yourself with an all-in attitude, as Mrs. Camerad once said, I'd be all-in because it'll be worth it uh, when the time is up here on earth. This is a grand test, this thing called life, as a spiritual creature. Uh, this is, I preached a sermon on the incubation period. This is, this is uh, we're in the womb here. Uh, we really haven't been born. In fact, I know from Romans that we have not, I have received the adoption of sons, which the Bible says is the redemption of our body. So we're not, we're not what we really are meant to be. This is not what we're meant to be. God forbid that we're stuck in this condition for eternity. But we're going to be bigger and tremendous more opportunity of service in the, in the other body, in the body like unto his glorious body, which is coming. Uh, I, I just believe this whole theme of ending well, man, it's just on my mind for you, for me. Uh, it's not because I'm 67. Uh, you can end just this. I told you the seven motorcycle, my brothers, my brothers, my brothers. In a way, my brothers. These motorcycle guys traveling down the road in New Hampshire, which I've been over. 
I've been over all over New Hampshire, Green Mountains, White Mountains, beautiful place for about two months a year. And uh, some truck came across the uh, median for some reason, some pickup truck, and killed seven of them boys. And life changed life of three of them. Uh, just because you're young doesn't mean it ain't your last day. This could be your last day. That wreck I had up in Michigan, man, I thought that was it. <laughs> Uh, there were some other people who were hoping so. But nevertheless, uh, <laughs> you just never know, right? Ernie up in uh, North Dakota gets up 4 a.m., gets up 3.30. Uh, we leave, uh, well, we had to, we were a little slow because we had trouble getting Morris up. But <clears throat> well, we got Morris out of bed. <clears throat> I went down there and met him at the, uh, we, what's funny about Ernie, he'll tell you 5.30, but he means 5. I had to kind of, we had to get used to that, but. When he says 4, he means 3.30. When he says everything he is, just go 30 minutes early because he'll be sitting at your doorstep. And we, he would drive about 50, 60 miles where he wanted to fish. And this is a lonely road, two-lane road. And there are deer in North Dakota. I mean, it's a deer capital of the world. And it's a white-tailed mule deer. And they're everywhere. They're running across the road. And he's slamming his brakes on here, there, and yon. He says, well, you know, you hit deer out here. And I'm like, what are we doing traveling on these roads at night? And I look over his speedometer, be going 80, and I'm going, I tell you, these boys, they, they're suicidal. But uh, God saved us. We didn't hit anything. But I saw Bob Jones, uh, I mean, I didn't, Bob Jones Sr. died in 1968, and that was uh, two years before I went to Bob Jones, but he died well. Bob Jones Jr., I did know him pretty well. I loved old Jr. Jr. was one of my favorite of the Joneses. And he died well. Uh, uh, Pastor Harry McKinney uh, worked with him for 12 years. He may be the, uh, I'm just one of the finest Christians I've ever worked with. As real as real can be. And he, he died well in the end. V.L. Martin, the first pastor of the church for six months, interim pastor, had a bad heart. You know, back yonder, when you had a bad heart, you died. It wasn't all that bad. But he, he had a bad heart, and there was not, not much you can do for the guy, and he died at 69 years old. And uh, I love that guy. VL, we golfed with him. He was a good golfer, and I'm not. And I just golfed because I want to do something with a guy. You know, he's an old guy. I want to learn from him as much as possible. I'm young. And he'd say, uh, never was sadder words. He said good stuff. Well, he said, he would make these poems up. And I wish I could remember it. I will remember it as soon as I don't want to. Uh, but he'd make he'd do poetry and stuff when you miss the pot, and you know he'd always mock. It was a good time. But Vio always would say, uh, and he ended well. I was thinking of a guy. Um, Kathy's not here. She could help me. She's my memory. But Kathy's got a cold. She's sick at home. But uh, there was a guy. Uh, I remembered him this week. I man, I pulled it out of the old memory banks, and he was here for a couple years, and he got sick of a heart. I went to saw him, and I went to see him in the emergency room, and man, he his face shone. He looked good. He looked better than what some of you look tonight. And he died two days after I saw him because his heart was bad. And I mean, it's just uh, I'm going to think of his name here in a minute. I got some of his books. I got his library, some of his library books, but. Uh, He's a wonderful guy. I've seen people die well. Dr. Heller is dying well. He is dying. Dr. Heller will be gone here pretty soon. 
uh, Dr. Bud Lyles is gone. Now, Bud Lyles preached in his church. He died well. Uh, Bob Shelton is going. He's close. His wife has already had a stroke and disabled, and he's coming down, but he's dying well. Um, uh, Bill Henthorne. Oh, excuse me. Uh, Bill Henthorne's uh, coming to the end. He's dying well. Bill's staying by the stuff. Pat Henthorne, you know, he, she died well. Amen. She died well. Brother Irvine, you're a little woman. I mean, she died well. Man, she died giving orders, buddy. His wife said, now do this, do this. I mean, she was giving orders on the way out. I never seen anything like it. But she, she died well. Um, Jim McCullum. He was with us. He bus ministry. He's Mr. Bus. He died. Well, Ernest Stewart, name on this building. I knew him, walked with him, called with him so many times. He died. Well, Gloria Stevens died. Well, Eve Broughton, Marilyn Rose. Oh, Marilyn Rose still alive. Uh, this is an anticipatory list I have here. Lillian Sikora, she's on the anticipatory list. Bill Sikora. Bill and Lil have been to, I've been visiting Bill and Lil in the hospital more than any other member in the history of Gospel Baptist Church. I feel that I'm going to die before them because they're wearing me out going to the hospital. But I have gone to the hospital so many times with Bill and Lil and said, this is it. This is the big one. You're going home. No. No. Hebrews 3.6 said, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? You're God's house. You're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works. You, you are God's workmanship. You think he cares about you? You're God's workmanship. Uh, it said, hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end. I preached here uh, a day uh, last week about when it doesn't how, it matter how you start, it's how you end. But brother, don't mess up the last few years. Hebrews 3.14, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. In other words, your reward is dependent on, on being faithful unto the end. Hebrews 6.11 says, we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. And you can look more verses up. There's more like it. Words in the Bible like confidence and hope and assurance are all connected to the end. So how does one keep confidence, assurance, and hope unto the end over a span of 30, 40, 50, 60 years? How does one overcome the minefields in this life that are laid for us by the devil himself and by the flesh and by the world? How does one endure unto the end? All the disappointments. Now, if you're young, you do not know what I'm talking about, but trust me on this. How does one overcome the disappointments in life? They do not teach you in college how to fail, how to deal with failure. But I can guarantee you there will be failure in your life that you've got to deal with. Amen. They ought to teach a course on college how, how to overcome failure because you're going to fail. Disney, went bank, we're talking about Disney, you know, like Disneyland, Disney. He went bankrupt twice. Um, he, he figured out, evidently, how to overcome it, amen, in that area. How do you overcome, under the end, the tragedies that come? Boy, tragedies do come. I mean, just in this little group of people here, 
You lost your son to motorcycle wreck. People lost their women, they, their wives. Wives have lost their husbands. I, I talked to you this morning about a woman I haven't seen in a while. Her been a widow. If I introduce her to you, Bill Hanthorne. You know, two widows together. Wife, I think your wife's been dead for how long? Nine. Her husband was ten. I, mean, I thought that was a good matchup myself. I saw wedding bells ringing. I mean, no. I'm a little matchmaker, me. How do you endure the unexpected betrayals? There are betrayals. How do you endure the, how do you overcome and under the, under then well, the failures and hardships and hardships there will be. It must come. Uh, but this life just now, don't cry because it's going to get better. Christians, uh, in some degree, have been up, have been set up to fail by good intending mentors that have spoken half-truths without textually explaining them. I, I, I had a person, I've had numbers of people come to me, and I've seen it on TV, I've heard preachers say it, God wants nothing but good for you. Of course, you know that's a health and wealth gospel. That is singly the most popular preaching on the planet Earth right now among Christianity is health and wealth. It's the singular number one popular preaching. God wants only good for you. That is actually a true statement, but not in your definition or in my definition at all. Without explaining the definition, without going to the Bible for it, you may get a misunderstanding of who God is. And when things don't go the way you think they're supposed to go, of course, disappointed expectations turn into depression. Depression turns into despondency. Despondency turns into rejection. Bitterness towards God. A loving God would never want me to suffer. I had a well-meaning soul tell me that one day. I thought, what planet are you from? Without explaining the temporary suffering as part of God's school. You read these books like The Green Letters by Miles Stanford, or you read um, Calvary Road, or, or you read uh, Pursuit of God, or you read some of these books that are classics on the Christian life. And, and one of the things you're going to read that failure is one of God's key tools to teaching you. Suffering is his tool. It's just a tool to teach you, and he'll use it. I think of examples, real briefly, of Joseph. What did he teach Joseph in 13 years? What did he teach Daniel in all that time and what he had to go through? I suppose Joseph or Daniel had good reasons to be bitter at God, wouldn't you say? Joseph and Daniel? But they weren't, were they? And look what God did through them. Wow. Um, let's, with all that said as introduction, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. I let you out early this morning, but I'm going to make up for it. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Verse 32, 11, chapter of Hebrews. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms and wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant and fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured. These are people of God, not accepting deliverance, 
that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others, oh, a whole sermon you could preach, and others, had, had trial of cruel mockings, scourgings, scourging, wow. Yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. Oh, they were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all, and these all, having obtained a good report, how? The same way you're going to get it. And you're not going to get it, and I'm not going to get it any other way but the way they got it, through faith. Brother, it's faith. Without faith, it's impossible, impossible, impossible to please God. For they, you must believe that He is. And a rewarder of them that diligently seeking. And the test, the test has begun. God having some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. So without the other side of the story, misinformed new Christians have troubles and get disillusioned. Sometimes when bad things come into a new Christian's life and they've been told differently, they've been told God wants nothing good for you. He wants you, he wants you to have health. He wants you to have wealth. He wants you to feel good about life. He wants you to be comfortable and all that other stuff. And things don't work out that way. They, they believe they've been forsaken by God. I know that because they come to me about it. Why is it that God has done this? Has he just forsaken me? I just talk. I talk to people on the phone on a regular basis to talk about this. Uh, they think God may be mad at them. They think somebody lied to them. Some preacher didn't tell the truth. They often want to get bitter at God. Well, maybe I'm just not one of the elect. Maybe I'm just not one of the chosen. Maybe I'm just not one of the special. But the Bible says God's not a respecter of persons. What does it take, preacher, to make it in good shape to the end of the Christian life? Thank you for asking. 25 times the word faith or a form of it is mentioned in just this little chapter of Hebrews 11. 25 times. What kind of faith, preacher? Oh, thank you for asking. There's a different, because there are different kinds of faith, you know. There's temporary faith. That's foxhole faith. Now, my dad said on the foxhole, when they dug their foxholes at night, half the foxhole filled with water, and they basically sat in water all night. Nobody got out of the foxhole. If you got out of the foxhole, you were a dead man because the Japanese were running fire over the top of your head all night. They also, Japanese would do kamikaze where... Not kamikaze. Suicidal missions where they put a knife in their mouth and they would crawl quietly up to the foxholes of the Americans and, and stab them. They found dead Americans in their foxholes and this, that, and the other thing in the morning. Nobody got out of their foxhole. Nobody. Nobody got out of the foxhole. He said your socks rotted out of, off your feet. You can imagine having your feet wet and all that all the time, how bad that was, fungus and everything else, tropics, you know. 
and the mur there's the killing and all that was going on. Um, he says, some of them boys cried out to God when a piece of shrapnel went through their stomach. But if they got healed, a lot of times he said those people would get healed, get carried back, and forget about God. They call it foxhole faith. That's temporary faith. I have witnessed it in a crisis. I've been to automobile accidents where people are pinned. You can smell gas. You hear the battery shorten out. Those two combinations are not good. They're pinned in the car, cannot be gotten out. Right away they put two and two together. I am going to burn alive. Oh, God. God. God help me. God help me. Oh, I've heard it. I cannot reproduce the sincerity that I hear. They get out of the accident. They're okay. Forget God. That's not saving faith. That's foxhole faith. That's temporary faith. Another kind of faith is head faith. I call it head faith because no, there's no heart faith. The only faith that saves you and I that will last unto the end is a heart faith. Now, I'm not saying a Christian has to check his head out. You don't, I mean, you've you, you got to have your brain. You need your brain. But your brain's not going to save you. Your heart's going to save you. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Right? Isn't that what the Bible says? The heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Then you've got conditional faith. God, if you'll do this and do this, I'll believe you. God, don't make deals. He will not make a deal with you. No. You've got to come to him in one kind of faith that will take you all the way to the end overcome every every obstacle is con is unconditional faith it's called blind faith blind faith it is the only kind of faith that'll carry you all the way home job 13 15 says though he slay me yet will i trust in him i was just reading the other night and i was rereading the green letters and he talks about blind faith and he and he used job 13 15 and i thought man that's a verse i memorized a long time ago hit me hard Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. In other words, do whatever you want to me, God. Take whatever you want away from me, God. Do whatever you feel is right to me, God. I'm just going to trust you. Are you that way tonight? Are you that way tonight? If you're not, you're not going to make it. Because you set up a contest with the devil. And he's going to win. As soon as he feels like you do not have blind faith, he's going to go bing, 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 I got him. All I got to do is make the situation bad enough, hard enough, long enough, and they're going to bail. They'll say, God didn't do me right. This Bible's not true. But it is true. And God is and does care about you. So in the, the, the faith of the book of Hebrews, especially chapter 11, is a uh, unconditional faith, is a blind faith. Conditional faith sets this contest up with the devil, and the devil's challenged to see if he can take or make some circumstance or condition that will simply break your faith. He'll break the temporary faith, the head faith. Uh, some young people in our church have been raised up at Gospel Baptist Church and heard literally thousands of messages. They've heard thousands of Sunday school lessons. They've, they've had the Bible put on them like, 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 like just poured over their head. And today, they're agnostics. Today, they claim to be atheists. That's because they never got, they never got the unconditional faith, the blind faith that it takes to be saved. They had a temporary faith, a head faith, a conditional faith, 
but they never got the blind faith that was required to be saved. So trouble comes, temptations come, trials come, tragedies come. Let me ask you a question. How much trouble would it take for you to quit living for Jesus? I'm talking about quitting. I'm talking about quitting. How much would it take? If there is such a thing, the devil going to go for it. He's going to go for it. He's going to get permission to do it. This guy don't really have faith. He's got you under all kinds of conditions. And, and, and if you treat him so-and-so or you do this so-and-so, uh, you do this. Uh, uh, that's why you want to claim Job 13, 15. Because that tells the devil, shoot me. And that God won't give him, won't give him, probably won't give him permission to shoot you. Now, God reads your heart, right? God knows your heart. God's not fooled by any of this. God knows from beginning to end what it is. But if you have the kind of faith that's an honest, open, real, deep, I mean, you believe God, and you, and Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And um, you go to God and say, God, I believe the word of God is what it is. Uh, you are what you, you said you, who, you are who you said you were. And Help me. God says, I'll help you. I'll help you. Through whatever trials, temptations, troubles, I'll help you through it all. You'll come out the other end in good shape. So how much temptation would it take for you to give up Jesus? Temptation. How good-looking a woman, let me talk to the men. How good-looking, how wild, how foxy, would a woman have to be, or women, to get you to quit Jesus? If there is such a thing, you ain't going to make it. Because the devil will make sure that happens. See, he's looking at you. You know, the, you ever heard of the thing called familiar spirits? Those are demons. Do you know why they're called familiar spirits? Because they're familiar with you. I have a demon that studied me from birth. He knows me front, top to bottom, side to side. He knows my facial looks, what I'm about to do. He can't read my mind. But he knows me. And so he is trying all the time to trip me up. It happened on vacation. Ran a couple things by me. I go, no. I didn't catch fish one day. You know, I was out of bad mood. That's a joke. I know this is pretty serious. I'm trying to lighten you up. How beautiful of a woman would Satan have to stand by to, to, to uh, call you off of your marriage? If you're married because of beauty, your marriage won't last. Because guess what? Your wife's going to lose her beauty. No young woman stays young. No young, beautiful woman stays beautiful and young. And no young, no young, handsome man stays handsome. I just had to say that for you girls. Amen? I didn't get married from, I, I may, now I'm not saying when I was 19 I was real deep. But there is such a thing as growth, right? And, and so I got married Beauty had a lot to do with it, okay? 
But as I matured and got into the what was valuable, I realized it was not the beauty. Doesn't the Bible say in Proverbs something about a warning about beauty? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Your ministry for Jesus, what would it take to get you off of it? Who has to offend you to get you to quit serving God? What would it take? If there is such a thing, the devil going to make it happen if he can. The familiar spirit, your buddy, is going to make it happen if he can. He's going to try to get permission. I, I said a long time ago, and I'm going to tell you, the only way, I'm telling you something, man, this is, this is so valuable, I can't even believe it. You're going, you want to live a un, pretty much unharassed spiritual life, at least in this area, you got to get so real, so absolute, so so total, so all in, that the devil looked at your familiar spirit, and the devil looks at you and said, There ain't no hope. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. Because the devil's not going to go for a loser, he's a winner. He wants to win. He don't want to lose. Let me tell you a little story. If God can't get you by tempting you, he'll promote you out of the will of God. Boy, that's a good one. He'll promote you out of the will of God. Who brought that up was Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson, first American missionary, you may be familiar with that, and I am. Read about him. He's a fabulous man. Read about him. I never knew anybody. No missionary suffered like Adonai Judson and ended well. Man, he ended well. 165,000 people got saved. They believe at least that many through his undying willingness to serve God. His wife died in the field. Two kids died in the field. He was held captive for two years in a cage worse than an animal. And he just, what was going on with all that? There was a contest. I think we can break at an iron. I don't think his faith is going to make it. But God bless, hallelujah, at an iron's faith made it all the way. That's the kind of faith Hebrews 11 is talking about. That's the kind of faith I want. That's the kind of faith you need. I've seen the devil come by somebody that was called into the work of God and they got a promotion financially or business-wise. And they, in, taking that spirit, in taking that business promotion, they took a spiritual demotion. Now you tell me what's going to matter 100 years from now. Tell me what's going to matter 100 years from now. Your ministry for Jesus is the greatest thing that you have been given by God this side of heaven. Whew. You teach Sunday school, it's not your little Sunday school class. It's your call. It's your reason for living. It's the will of God. I'm only influencing half a dozen kids. You don't know who those kids are. 
You don't know there's not a William Judson, uh, William Judson, William Carey, Adoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor. You don't know who's in that class. You don't know there's not a D.L. Moody at the shoe store. You don't know. I'm little, I'm, and I'm, I'm not bringing myself in that class of people at all, but Bill Lytell was in a five-year-old Sunday school class at First Baptist Church in Elkhart, Indiana, when that old girl decided to teach on hell, and old Billy got under conviction and got, got uh, saved that day. That girl, I never meant that. I never got to go back and tell that woman that God had called me into the ministry. And I'd go on, you know, and I never got to talk to the woman. I don't know her. I don't know her name. But I can tell you, God knows her. God used the old girl. You know? Don't you let anything pull you off of God's ministry for you. Don't you let anything pull you off. Blind faith can't be bought off, can't be beat off, and can't be bragged off or promoted off. I can't tell you how many churches through the years invited me to come candidate. Bigger churches, 2,000, 2,500. Bigger churches, established works. Oh, you do so well at our church up there. I said, but God's not calling me to do that. This is where God called me to be. Years ago, I just decided to trust God and let his path be my path. Let his will be my will. I want it so bad. I really do. But you know what follows all that? Peace like a river attendeth my way. Woo, glory. Peace, peace. God's peace. Storms still blow. Troubles still come. People get sick. People die. Promotional temptations will come. But to no avail to the person who has honest, blind faith with God. Boy, you need this kind of faith to end well. Jim McCullum had that kind of faith. Pastor McKinney had that kind of faith. V.L. Martin had that kind of faith. So many others have had that kind of faith. In the 39, by the way, this is my 40th year. 40th, 40 is a big number in the Bible. This is my 40th year at the gospel. Big. Wow. I never thought I'd live to 40. There were people wishing I didn't then. I'm, I, I fulfill the verse where it says, Paul says, I'm constantly dying, yet I live. Nobody wants to be healthier than I want to be. I want to be healthy, but this is not God's will for me. But I, I'm trusting day, but it keeps me on the edge. But no, no servant of God ends well without the faith that Hebrews talks about. By the way, folks, I, I'm going to end this. The prize is worth it. The person of Jesus Christ is worth it. And the people that you touch for Christ are worth it. They're worth it. It's worth driving that old bus getting sweaty at night. What else are you going to do, right? What are you going to do when they come for you? I mean, what else are you guys going to do at night? Do laundry, dishes, watch a little TV, play little video games. I mean, what are you going to do? Isn't it better going out there and driving that sweaty, hot bus that smells like a gymnasium, about two-year-old gymnasium, picking up boys and girls? Remember, it's not every week. It's once, 
Well, I mean, there's every week on Sunday. But, I mean, it, you know, during the week, I, I feel for you. I, I, we'd buy air if we didn't think it'd spoil you. Hmm. I told my wife, if I got to go back into bus ministry, I think I'd cash in something and just buy a brand new air-conditioned bus. That'd be my bus. Amen. We at church are not against you bus captains buying your own new buses. We're good on it. We're good for it. You can drive it. Nobody else drive it. You drive it. You drive it. You, you captains, you drive your own new buses. I can tell you we've priced them out. Uh, Brother Chris, he's tempted. He knows how much they cost, about 115000 And, man, that's air-conditioned, top-to-bottom, tinted windows, brand new. Drives like a Cadillac. Woo! But no. Boy, I love people with blind faith. I love being around them. I like rubbing shoulders with them. I like just being around them. It's just a pleasure. And what a pleasure it's going to be in heaven, man. All those people believe God with all their heart. And trusted Him all the way home. Father, thank you. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.